fifth step has written a number of blogs and white papers on the subject of the general data protection regulation. We've also recorded a number of podcasts and organised a webinar on the GDPR. What follows now is a recording of that webinar. Hi, and thanks for joining me, Darren Ray, as I take you on a journey through GDPR. That's the General Data Protection Regulation, a piece of EU regulation that's going to come into power in 2018, and that's going to affect all businesses, not only across Europe, but also across the rest of the world, if they're dealing with data that belongs to European residents. So let's run through a couple of the headlines about GDPR. GDPR applies to companies irrespective of their location if they are collecting and storing or processing personal or sensitive information about EU residents. Important part there is it's not just the processing, it's not just keying the information in or collecting it that's governed, it's any kind of processing at all, including storing, viewing or reporting. So you can't do any of those things without uh, being compliant with the GDPR. The fines for non-compliance can be as high as 20 million euros or 4% of the annual global turnover of an organisation, whichever is the higher. So GDPR has really got some teeth in comparison to the data protection directive um, that's in place at the moment. GDPR will also apply to UK-based companies irrespective of Brexit. So this isn't a get-out-of-jail-free card for UK-based companies. You're going to have to implement GDPR and remain compliant because GDPR comes into place long before uh, the UK will Brexit. As I mentioned earlier, GDPR will be law from May 2018. So it's important to get started now because there's actually quite a number of changes that need to be made to both business process systems and computer systems before you can be fully compliant. GDPR and, well, data protection more uh, generally is in place around the world, but it's not all equal. So the data protection that's in place in uh, Russia or in North America or in Australia isn't equal or the same as that that's in place or about to be in place for for GDPR. One of the major differences, for example, between North America uh, data, North American data protection and European data protection is the concept of the data subject. In Europe, the data subject is really giving permission uh, for someone to use their data. Uh, the company that collects that data is the data controller, um, but they are never really own the data. Uh, they only have consent to use that data, and they can be asked at any time uh, to delete that data under uh, GDPR requirements. In North America, however, the, the concept is slightly different. Once the data is collected, it pretty much belongs to the company that's connect, uh, collected it. They may have to treat it in a certain way, um, you know, keep it uh, safe and secure from hackers and things like that, but it, pre it pretty much uh, belongs to them. Let's run through a uh, glossary of some of the terms um, under data protection. This is more specifically under the Data Protection Directive and uh, GDPR than North American data protection. But uh, some of the concepts uh, hold true nevertheless. Let's talk about the data subject. So the data subject is a living individual um, about whom you're collecting personal or sensitive data. But what is personal or sensitive data? 
Well, personal data is information relating to uh, a named identifiable individual, okay? And that you can actually identify that individual from that data. But it doesn't just mean things like name and address or date of birth or social security number or national insurance number or something like that. It can be a combination of data and it can also be reference numbers that used in combination with another data source can be used to track that uh, user down. So things like a, an account number, a bank account number for example, is considered to be personal information. Sensitive personal information is uh, is a different category uh, of personal data. It has to be treated uh, with extra sensitivity because of its nature. Um, it can be data about uh, a person's uh, ethnicity or e uh, ethnic origin, uh, their political op uh, opinions, their religious beliefs. Uh, trade union membership is also covered in this, um, in this uh, category. Um, trade union membership, um, any physical or mental health uh, information is uh, considered there. Uh, their sex life is also considered to be uh, sensitive information. Criminal history, uh, any of that kind of information. And new to GDPR um, now includes biometric and genetic information to be covered as sensitive personal information too. So if you're collecting any of that data, you have to take extra steps um, in respect to um, how you protect the data, how it's encrypted, how it's stored and how it's processed. Another important concept of GDPR uh, and of the Data Protection Directive, in fact, is the concept of consent. Now, consent is freely given and specific to the information um, uh, provided um, uh, for the purpose uh, that it's provided for. So let me explain what that means. I cannot, um, as a, an organisation, uh, collect your data to provide a service to you, uh, to give you a bank account, for example, and then use that data to market to you, um, you know, to send you direct mail or something like that. Now, I can't do that unless, in the terms and conditions, I actually state that your data will be used for this purpose and this purpose. And best practice, and reinforced in uh, GDPR, is that you must have an opt-out. In fact, the best practice is to uh, enable the, the data subject to opt in. Okay. The purpose. Um, so the purpose for which the data is collected is um, the, to offer a service or it could be a combination of things. You can have more than one purpose, but there must be at least one stated purpose. And you cannot then use that data for anything other than the purposes, purpose or purposes that you've stated. The data processor is the person or company who is processing the data. Now, as I said earlier on, processing the data can be storing the data, it can be reporting on the data, it can even be viewing the data, as well as things like uh, collecting the data and uh, correcting the data. All of those things are obviously processing, but it can just simply mean storing the data too. Let's talk about some of the, uh, the rights of the data subjects. These are, largely speaking, these are introduced um, as part of GDPR, and they don't necessarily, all of them don't uh, necessarily apply to uh, the Data Protection Directive. So let's talk about, first of all, uh, the right to be informed. The right to be informed is a really interesting one in that it puts the onus on the organisation that's collected the data, the data processor, um, uh, and puts that, the, the onus on them to notify the individual should their data be breached. So if data 
is um, lost or it's hacked and um, you know is um, is shared with people that it wasn't um, intended to be shared with. Um, that kind of behaviour, that kind that kind of incident rather, um, has to be reported not only to the data protection authority, but it also has to be um, the data subject also ha also has to be notified about that. The right of access is another important right that c comes as part of the Data Protection Act. Um, uh, and as well as part of uh, GDPR. So the right of access means you can actually ask the question of an organisation as to what personal data, you know, what data do you store uh, about me? And something that actually your organisation needs to make sure it's got the correct data on people anyway, not only as part of the data protection regulation, but more generally to make sure that you've got efficient processing. The right to erasure. Now this is sometimes called uh, the right to be forgotten. Um, Data subjects have the right to request that their data is erased. Now, this typically will come after, um, after they've closed an account or they've stopped doing business with you. They can request that you actually delete their data. Um, now, as part of your data policies and your data retention policies, you should have a specified period of time that you're going to keep uh, data. And that can't be unreasonable. That can't be a... Uh, an unreasonable period uh, of time that you're going to maintain it for. So when someone uh, closes their account, you can't keep their data for 20 years after they've closed their account, unless that's a reasonable period of time um, you know, for the type of account that, you, that, that they've got or something like that. So you must make sure that you're only keeping it for the right period of time. But the user or the data subject can actually request their data be deleted. The right to restrict processing. Another important uh, right that the data subject gets, if the data is found to be incorrect, um, perhaps after a data request or otherwise, the data subject can, uh, can ask that, the, that their data not be processed and not be uh, used, not be uh, reported upon and not be uh, processed in a normal way because it's currently inaccurate. How many of your data systems and business process systems at the moment uh, would be able to um, flag certain records or an entire client's record, for example, to say uh, the data um, in this record is subject to a, um, a restrictive processing uh, flag, a GDPR restrictive processing flag? Not many of uh, you guys listening to this, I suspect not many of the systems that you guys have would be able to uh, deal with that kind of scenario. The next right I'm going to talk about is the right to data portability. Um, this enables a data subject to request a copy of their personal data in a standard format. That might, now, that might be XML, it might be um, CSV, it might be any of those kind of things. Um, it will be an industry standard uh, format, though. So for uh, banks, for example, they might agree on a certain format of XML. Um, other sectors might agree that CSV is going to work perfectly well for their sectors. Whichever it is, though, um, it has to be a common um, uh, and uh, uh, digitally processed uh, data format. So it can't just be a printout of the data. Uh, now, this is uh, potentially uh, controversial, I think, because that means that a, a data subject can request their data in a format that they can then take to your competitor. Um, for example, if they're doing a, um, a car insurance, uh, looking to change their car insurance, for example, uh, they could request their personal data and have that in a format that they can then give straight to their new insurer. The right to object... 
Um, now, this is the right to object to um, uh, the way that the data is processed and um, the uh, yeah, to the way, the way that the data is used. If the data subject believes that the data is being used in a way that is uh, inconsistent for, um, with the purpose that it was collected for, with the stated purpose that we spoke about earlier on, um, so the data subject has that right. Now, that, will, that could also lead to the, um, not only to a right to, um, to object, but it could, mean, uh, could then lead to the right to restrict processing, for example. And the last right I'm going to talk about is the right to manual processing. This is where a data subject can say, I disagree with the decision that your computer system has given, uh, and I would like my case to be reviewed manually. Uh, again, I don't know how many uh, uh, business systems uh, um, will actually allow that process to take place. It's certainly going to be a change in, uh, in, in process and workflow for many organisations, even if the computer aspect can be disconnected or can be um, you know, uh, done step by step uh, with a, uh, a human uh, employee actually making some of the decisions and confirming the decisions that are made, uh, that are made by your business systems. Let's move on to um, different types of data. Now, I've kept these de deliberately generic because uh, different people from different organisations and different sectors will be listening um, to this recording. Um, so I've kept them very high level. You'll be able to identify, I'm sure, as we run through some of these, um, some examples within your, within your own organisation that will contain uh, personal, personal data or sensitive data. First example, HR and staff data. It's obviously going to contain um, sent, uh, uh, personal information. may contain some sensitive information as well. If, for example, you're collecting uh, medical assessments as part of your hiring process, those would be considered sensitive information. The other information, the um, name, uh, address, um, bank account information, all that kind of stuff would be considered uh, personal information at the very least. Any staff assessments... Um, uh, so any judgments or opinions about a person um, are also con considered to be um, uh, personal information. So you have to maintain those as personal information as well. So that's your HR records. Customer data. Um, if your business sells directly to customers, uh, to um, a, an individual, uh, then obviously you're going to be collecting some of their personal information as part of the transaction. Uh, so you're going to have to treat that under the um, and implement all the rights uh, of GD that GDPR gives for data subjects for that kind of data. If your organisation processes data on behalf of your customers, okay, so perhaps your customers sell directly to uh, the general public, then obviously you're going to have to treat that, that data in the same way. Transactional data can also contain personal information, such as uh, shipping information is going to contain name and address information at the very least. Uh, claims information, if you're a, an insurance company, um, you're going to collect a, a great deal of claims information and particularly things like um, um, health insurance claims, uh, that information would obviously uh, contain sensitive information as well. Uh, complaint records might also contain uh, personal information. Now new to GDPR is the concept that um, IP addresses now uh, are personal information. Now, IP addresses are the addresses that your internet service provider um, gives you when your computer connects to the internet. It's sort of like a bit like a telephone number, although um, for more technical people, uh, they'll know that's uh, only uh, only uh, only a good analogy so far. But 
Uh, this number uh, may change every time you log on to the internet, but it may stay with you for some time, perhaps days, sometimes weeks um, uh, before it's changed. And websites use that IP address um, to uh, log your path through their website um, and to offer uh, content that's tailored to your country because your IP address uh, will change um, um, if you, as you change country. Um, now, because IP addresses are now personal information, your web logs, okay, so the logs that your web server creates about who's visited your website now become personal information and, and um, fall under the scope of GDPR. So have a think about that um, as you're implementing new uh, web systems and, uh, and new web servers. Tracking data is another interesting area that becomes uh, more important under GDPR or gets recognised by GDPR. So any GPS tracking information. So perhaps, um, for example, if you work for a large organisation, a large enterprise, and you provide a mobile phone to your employees or your employees are provided with a mobile phone, perhaps that mobile phone has GPS tracking enabled on it. Well, if that's the case, that's per that device is now collecting personal information about the, the data subject, the person who's carrying that device. Um, it's, it's tracking their whereabouts. And that information has to be uh, treated as personal information. Again, many systems won't necessarily be able to offer um, the, the level of security that's going to be required by GDPR for that kind of data at this point in time. So what should you do next? Well, there's a number of um, suggestions um, that's, uh, that are in the presentation here, but um, let's just run through, uh, let's run through them all. Um, data categorization. You need to know what data is sensitive, you need to know what data is personal data, and you need to understand uh, what the data retention is for all of those uh, categories of data. You need to have policies, procedures, processes um, that fit and are compliant with, your, with uh, the GDPR requirements. Okay, so you need to be able to implement uh, the right to be forgotten, for example, or the right to rect rectification, or the right um, to, for manual processing. Your computer systems have to be compliant with those rights as well, um, that being the third point. Um, you must have a data incident plan. Um, one of the aspects um, that is very important is the need for a data protection officer. Okay? And a data protection officer will actually cover a number of um, duties as part and parcel of their, um, their, their normal working. But it's a specific thing under, under GDPR, specific requirement for a named data protection officer. So, for example, a data protection officer will ensure the data quality and accuracy of the data. So it's their responsibility to make sure data is collected and processed in the right way and that the, 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 the processes and transformations that that data goes through in its journey through your organisation uh, maintains the quality of the data. Um, they'll be responsible for the creation and upkeep of your data protection policies, ensuring that they are fit for purpose and that the, um, the data protection authority, if they were to um, look at your policies, would agree that they're fit for purpose and that they're uh, appropriate to the purpose for which you're, um, that you're creating and collecting data. 
the data protection officer is also responsible for issue management. So dealing with the data protection authority, should there be a problem, um, you know, should there be a breach, um, you know, should that USB stick that you hold all of your clients' personal information on or your HR data actually get dropped in the street? If you are holding personal uh, data um, on a USB stick, by the way, uh, please don't. It must, be, it must be encrypted at the very least and, and well encrypted, not just um, um, held as a, as a plain file or in a spreadsheet or something like that. Really is opening uh, your uh, organisation up to, at the very least, a lawsuit if you're in, uh, in North America, um, but um, to uh, data protection regulation if, if you're in Europe. Um, data ca categorization also falls under the uh, requirements of or the, the general role and duties of a data protection officer. Uh, data retention, how long the data is kept for, what's reasonable and making sure the processes are in place to actually delete that data once it's um, completed. So making sure you've got a data incident plan is just a thin end of uh, the, the, the wedge for the data protection officer's duties. You should also um, make sure you understand any geographic restrictions and requirements around your data. So not just GDPR data. Um, you know, perhaps, um, perhaps you do business in Russia as well, where the data can't leave, um, um, can't leave Russia. Or perhaps um, you hold uh, North American PPI data, uh, PII data. Um, in that case, you're going to need to make sure that that data is, um, uh, adheres to any of its geographic restrictions. And last but by no means least, you should have a continual improvement process to ensure that you maintain your compliance so that um, none of these processes um, you know, or none of this ability to comply with GDPR is a one-off event um, because having become compliant, the next day there will be some change or some new system that you need to implement um, that will then change the environment and your policies, your processes, your procedures, your uh, business processes need to be able to react and respond to that to make sure that you remain compliant. So have a continuous improvement program to actually go back round and ensure that you're still compliant the next day. So how can Fifth Step help you um, with some of these um, aspects? Well, we provide a data protection officer service. So this is uh, the vital role under GDPR of the data protection officer, but it's provided on a fractional and flexible basis. So that means that if your organisation is um, so small, or perhaps you already have a data protection officer who just needs a little bit of help, and you only need two days uh, of uh, data protection officer capability, then we can provide that to you. And we can provide it in a way that is spread across the month or it's two nominated days or a number of extra days, however many days that, uh, that's necessary. What's more, we can flex it up and then flex it back down for you. So that uh, should you need the data protection officer uh, more because of uh, an upcoming audit and you want to make sure that everything's in the right place before that audit, then obviously you can flex it up to perhaps five days if that's what you needed in that month. And then the next month, you flex it back down to the two days because um, the audit's completed, everything went through smoothly, and you now need to go back to just keeping, um, you know, keeping the, uh, the ship on an even keel. FISTEP also provides uh, GDPR-orientated project management. So we have um, uh, people who are 
um, uh, trained project managers who are familiar with data protection uh, requirements and with GDPR. And we can actually help you run your uh, GDPR-orientated project, whether that be implementing new computer systems or upgrading those computer systems, or perhaps it's very specifically about getting your organisation fully compliant with GDPR. As part of that service as well, we can provide GDPR project assessment. So we're very, very happy to uh, look at your existing GDPR project, um, assess whether it's actually going to make you compliant, and also help you understand whether it's on track or whether it's going to run into um, problems that we've encountered before with GDPR-type pro uh, projects. If you'd like to know more about Fifth Step, then please do visit us at www.fifthstep.com. You'll find lots of learnings and thinking of our current learnings and our current thinkings there. Um, it's a very useful resource. We've got lots about GDPR um, in the form of podcasts and uh, white papers and uh, obviously uh, details of the services uh, that we offer around. Thanks very much for your time and attention today.